This is case 233 from the True Dharmai 300 Koan collection. Zhaozhu's cup of tea. Main case. Zhaozhu asked the newly arrived monk, Have you been here before? The monk said, Yes, I have been here. Zhaozhu said, Have a cup of tea. Later, he asked another monk, Have you been here before? The monk said, no, I have not been here. Zhaozhu said, Have a cup of tea. The monastery director then asked Zhaozhu, Aside from the one who has been here, why did you say, Have a cup of tea, to the one who has not been here? Zhaozhu said, Director. The director responded, Yes. Zhaozhu said, Have a cup of tea. The commentary. In the real truth, there is no other thing that is present. In worldly truth, the 10,000 things are always present. We should clearly understand that the real truth and worldly truth are non-dual and that this, in and of itself, is the highest meaning of the holy truth. The monastery director was lost in the differences between two monks. So Zhaozhu moved in all directions at once to help him see it. If you go to the words to understand this, you will miss it. If, however, you see into it directly, it will be like the bottom of falling out of a bucket. Nothing remains. How do you see into it directly? Have a cup of tea. The capping verse. In the ordinary, nothing is sacred. In sacredness, nothing is ordinary. So last Sunday, I spoke about Dana Paramita, the perfection of true giving, as it flows naturally out of being in alignment with who we are as human beings. And today I want us to keep going in the same vein and explore giving from the perspective of Xanti Paramita, the perfection of forbearance, which is tolerance of, and patience. Given the senseless killing of George Floyd, it is imperative that we open our eyes and our hearts to the consequences of our actions as society and examine the root causes that lie, that lie underneath our actions. Bob Dylan wrote a song titled, Gotta Serve Somebody. And I'm not going to sing it, but I will say it. It says, you're going to have to serve somebody. Yes, indeed, you're going to have to serve somebody. Well, it may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. So regardless of what he meant when he wrote this song, there's a lot of truth in these words. And perhaps it will be more accurate to say, whether you acknowledge it or not, you're always serving someone. We may be working in the service of delusion or in the service of wisdom. Either way, we're all serving that which we put our trust in. And so we need to ask ourselves, are we aware of it? And do we know the difference? 
At the beginning of this mess we so diligently create, there is an unexamined assumption that I exist independently of others and my environment. And this error naturally leads to thoughts and words and actions that are self-grasping, self-concerned, and self-serving. And this inevitably leads to fear of losing the imagined possession and a strong need to protect it. These are direct consequences of identifying with a sense of separate existence and the road from identifying with the self to identifying with a group of people viewed as my people is very short. The groupings can be based on culture, level of education, status, skin color, beliefs, opinions, gender, political affiliations, nations, and any other way we choose to create separations. Identification with a group manifests in the same way as identification with a self. Self-grasping expands to group grasping. Self-concern expands to group concern. And self-serving expands to group serving. The accompanying intense emotions also expand. The fear of losing the group and the need to protect it against any perceived threat leads to anger and hatred in a much larger scale and the harmful consequences grow exponentially. In 1991, there was a European Human Rights Conference which included a long list of countries. And the conference statement was very clear and sadly, it seems that it never ceases to be utterly relevant. It says, in pursuit of justice for all people, the International Conference for the Anatomy of Hate urgently called on leaders and citizens of the world to combat the alarming resurgence of racism and religion, religious and ethnic hatred. As individuals, as communities, as nations, we are interdependent. We are interdependent and share a collective responsibility to ensure that people of all countries, races, and religions are guaranteed the full range of human rights that are at the heart of freedom and dignity. Hatred leads to war. We must disarm hatred to assure peace. Denunciation of hatred is an act of global patriotism. Remaining silent undermines everyone's freedom and endangers humanity. An act of global patriotism. What an amazing idea. Well, how about replacing our small-minded groupings with a large sense of global patriotism and feel liable for each other beyond our petty and self-concerned way of thinking? The fact that we look and act differently doesn't mean that we are not the same. It only seems this way to a superficial mind or a superficial level. So we have to make the effort to look deeper and disarm and denounce hatred by creating changes on three levels. Thoughts, words, and actions. We can't just speak of equality chant about it, sit with it, and then hate those who express hatred, 
discriminate against those who discriminate or become angry with those who express anger. What's the difference? This will only magnify the divide we are trying to bridge. Hatred does not discriminate. So how do we meet differences without the suspicion, fear, and mistrust? How do we meet it with a caring heart, an eye that allows us to see ourselves in another, to see that we are indeed one? Xiaoju, the teacher in this koan, was a great example of equality and equanimity. He was a 9th century Chinese Zen master, revered as one of the most profound teachers of the Zen tradition. And for those of you who haven't heard about Zhaozhu before, I want to say a few words. Zhaozhu, also known as Joshu, began his Zen journey at the age of 16 as a disciple of Nanquan and had his first realization experience when he was 18 years old. He then kept studying with his teacher for another 40 years until the passing of his teacher Nanquan, Nansen, at the age of 60. After completing a year of memorial services for his teacher, Zhao Zhu, instead of starting to teach, thought, I need to keep learning, I need to expand my understanding. So he went on a pilgrimage for another 20 years before settling down at a monastery and taking the position of an abbot. Quite different from the way many of us think about practice and achieving something or becoming someone. What an amazing uh, expression of a beginner's mind. So he started to teach at the age of 80, and he died at the age of 120. So imagine the embodiment, the depth of the embodiment of 100 years of enlightened living. 100 years of enlightened living. Zhaozhu was known as a gentle teacher that used simple and profound words to convey his teaching in a manner that was known as tongue and lip zen. And it is said that he never resorted to beating and shouting, which were common among some teachers at that time. Not in a mean way, but in a, in a way of awakening. So Zhaozhu's way of awakening was quite different at that time. So in this koan, Zhaozhu asked the newly arrived monk, have you been here before? And the monk said, yes, I have. And Zhaozhu said, have a cup of tea. And the footnote says, the ten directions cannot contain it. Cannot contain what? Later, he asked another monk, have you been here before? And the footnote says, the old master won't stop until he has stirred up the whole community. The monk said, no, I have not been here. Zhao Yu said, have a cup of tea. And the footnote says, the light shines again. The light always shines. We have to allow it to come through, through us, to shine through us. In a way, we have to stop getting in the way, stop interfering with what needs to come out. 
So in a natural and unassuming manner, Jaju runs into a monk he has never seen before. And he offers him a cup of tea. Then he runs into a monk who has been with the Sangha for a while. And with the same equanimous mind, same equanimous mind, he offers him a cup of tea. Meeting and acknowledging differences, he responds by offering a sip of equality. He's not ignoring or denying the facts. He just knows how to make the uneven even. He sees the even in the uneven. And if we don't see the even in the uneven, we get lost. And getting lost, we create a lot of suffering. How do we meet differences? We may think that we are tolerant and accepting people. We may think that of ourselves. But when someone expresses an opinion that is opposite to what we believe or feel, and we feel an opposition and resistance to that, then what? What does that mean? What is that showing us? How often do we give undivided attention to others in a non-discriminating way? How quickly we become impatient and short depending on who we are speaking with and what is being said. How generous are we with dispensing patience? Is there a limit to patience? Does it run out? Of course it runs out. That depends. Does it depend on anything? That depends where we turn to. If it comes from the differentiating mind, of course there is a limit. Of course we can become jaded. Of course I've had enough of this. But when we tap into the source, the everlasting source that never runs out, how could we run out of patience? How could we not, how could we not be tolerant? How could we not be accepting? And it doesn't take much for the judgmental thoughts to pop up in our heads. And as soon as that happens, we seem to run out of patience, become irritable and blinded to equality. How quickly we judge and how quickly we identify with our judgment. We may be sitting in a group and somebody says something we like. Oh, that's great. Somebody says something we don't like. That's terrible. How can he or she think this way? How quickly? How quickly we go from chanting and talking about equality to, jump in, to jumping into the other side of that and dwell in differentiation and feel justifiable. They don't understand me. They don't see me for who I am. What am I seeing? As soon as we think that someone is on the other side, we are getting to the other side of that. What's the difference? Well, we say the difference is that I'm right and they're wrong. Do they think something different? Of course, on the other side, I'm wrong and they're right. And where's the end of that? 
In one of his talks about tolerance, the Buddha said, there are these five causes of speech that others may use when they address you. Their speech may be timely or untimely, true or untrue, gentle or harsh, connected with good or with harm, spoken with a mind of loving kindness or in a mood of hate. You should train yourself by raising this intention. Our minds will remain unaffected and we shall utter no bitter words. We shall abide compassionate for their welfare with a mind of loving kindness, never in the mood of hate. We shall abide in pervading that person with a mind imbued with loving kindness, abundant, exalted, immeasurable, without hostility and without ill will. That is how you should train. That is our training. That's the movement from a differentiating mind to the mind that understands and sees equality, not as something special, as all there is. Zen training has a forward-moving quality forward-moving quality, and it's asking us to actively take charge and practice in an actionable way. And rather than passively avoid harm, we actively practice goodness. The focus is always on the doing, as in doing deep Lajna Paramita, doing deep wisdom, not contemplating, not talking about it, not even chanting about it. All this is extra doing the Plajna Paramita. In our precepts, we say that the, the focus is on what we do, not what we avoid. In non-killing, it's not that I will not kill. I will nurture life. The focus is not to sit by the wayside and, yeah, well, I'm not doing it. I'm not doing anything. I'm not part of it. I am part of it. Always. So the question is, what is my doing? Where is my responsibility? How do I work with greed, anger, and ignorance? And if I think I am good on that department, in that department, then I am not looking deep enough. Or I am looking outside. In comparison to that, well, I'm good. And there's no much there's not much practice in that, and there's no deepening in that either. So in the face of stinginess, in the face of stinginess, we have to practice generosity. In the face of anger, we have to practice patience. In the face of hatred, we have to practice loving kindness. And in the face of discrimination, we have to practice acceptance and equanimity. Yaoju offered the gift of sameness in the face of inequality. But as it turns out, the monastery director was puzzled by his actions. So he asked Yaoju, aside from the one who has been here, why did you say, have a cup of tea to the one who has not been here? The footnote says, I'm afraid he has missed the whole and I would say, I'm afraid we often miss the whole thing. Or we take a break from it. 
Because now I have good reasons to hate. I have good reasons to judge. I have good reasons to not be patient. Of course I have good reasons. The moment we think about it, we come up with thousand reasons. And the moment we stop thinking about it, all those reasons fall apart. The non-existent. Until and unless we start to think about them. Jaujo said, Director. And the footnote says, How kind, but does he really get it? Director. Here is an opportunity to stop thinking or to not give thought much credence. Here is an opportunity. Every time somebody calls your name, Here's an opportunity. Snap out. Come back. If you come back, you will not find hatred. You will not find anyone to hate. The director responded, yes. Footnote says, although there were three cups of tea already served, the director has yet to wet his lips. Million cups of tea are served on a momentary basis. And we claim to not know what it is. We claim to be disconnected from that. Or oh, I'll get to that later. When I'm done saying what I need to say, hating those I need to hate, I'll come back to that. Thousands, every second, in front of our eyes. Never hidden, always in plain sight. And the director acts as if his lips are dry. So Zhao said, have a cup of tea. And the footnote says, this is a kindness that is hard to repay. How do we repay that? By realizing together actualizing together and then passing it on to others. It's the only way to pass it on. The monastery director was confused and Zhao Zhu's intention was to part the clouds simply by calling out director have a cup of tea. The whole of humanity is skewered by this calling and all our pettiness is actually revealed as the grime that covers inherent purity. Zhao Zhu is offering this cup of tea to us right now. And the question is, are we ready to receive it? And if we do receive it, are we willing, are we willing to offer it to every being we encounter? Actually, every being, even if we don't encounter them. Are we willing to receive it and are we willing to share it with the whole of humanity in a non-discriminating way? And Dogen actually said, all of the 10,000 phenomena dwell in this single cup of tea. Everything and everybody is present. 
if we want to see the same essence in all people, we can't use the conventional eyes that are stuck in the same skull that harbors our differentiating mind. To see the Buddha in another, we must recognize the Buddha in ourselves. Now we say Buddha recognizes Buddha, Buddha bows to Buddha. Seen through the Buddha eye, we all share the same cup of tea. When we look at discrimination and social injustice through the conventional eye, it is very easy to be filled with rage, become self-righteous, and unleash the anger towards those who are the perpetrators, or at least seem this way. This, the one who appears to be on the other side of that clear divide, we can also become very angry with those who may not agree with us about the way to respond to social injustice. The issue with such reactivity, obviously, is that anger does not have sides. It doesn't matter what I'm angry about. I am blinded by that, and when I'm blinded, I will inevitably create harm. Anger fuels anger. Hatred fuels a hatred. And if we don't work with it and cultivate the vir virtue of forbearance, tolerance, patience, the anger will spread like a wildfire and burn everything it encounters, including us. Gandhi said, I have learned through bitter experience the one supreme lesson to conserve my anger. And as heat conserved is transmuted into energy, even so our anger, when controlled, can be transmuted into a power which can move the world. So he's not saying, we are not saying to reject anything or to pretend that those intense emotions don't arise. The question is always, now what? How do I meet it? If I use it to justify hateful, harmful actions, then obviously it's going to be a burning fire. But fire actually can warm up the house and nurture people or burn the house down. It's the same fire. In one instance, it is using us. In another, we are using it. That's the difference. When we know how to meet our, in our, our intense emotions, know how to transmute them, know what to do with them, then yeah, they can work in our service or in the service of wisdom. But when we don't know, when we allow those intense emotions to blind us, they will burn the house It's the house that we all live in. So, of course, it's not wrong to experience intense anger in the face of injustice. We just need to know what to do with it. How do we do that? We have to come close. We have to open up our heart. We have to be willing to bear witness. A monk once asks, 
King Yuan, what is the meaning of Bodhidharma's coming from India? And it's the same questions asking, what's the point of Buddhism? King Yuan said, it's just like this. The monk asked further, what do you have to teach these days? King Yuan said, come closer. The monk moved closer. King Yuan said, keep this in mind. Come closer and keep that in mind. What am I hearing? Well, that's up to you. How are you listening is the question. If you are willing to come close, if you are willing to listen, you will see, we will see that we are not different. From afar, it is so easy to hate. It is so easy to be filled with anger, to shut down. But when we move closer, we realize here is another human being exactly like me. Exactly like me. Maybe that even saying too much. Here is, here is another human being. Here I am. Right there. Here is another way I manifest. Here is another way I manifest. Am I white? Am I black? Am I this? Am I tall? Am I short? Am I female? Am I male? I am all of it. Sometimes I'm this. Sometimes I'm that. Hatred can only burn the one who hates, even when it burns others. And to practice, to be a bodhisattva, a bodhisattva is the one who is not phased by life, no matter what happens. We should not be phased by it. If we're phased by it, we're going to be paralyzed. And seeing life from a perspective of equanimity, of equality, life shows up in many ways. So we should not be surprised. Not being surprised, we can easily roll up our sleeves, do what we need to do. So what do we do, is the question. Question, the more important question is, how do we do what we do? Many things to do. Many ways to manifest. How do we do that? So, let's open it up. See where we're at. And let's, uh, let's try to stay with that. So we don't veer off and uh, go to other places and bring up other aspects. There are always many aspects to talk about. But we may want to talk about where we are at personally with this and how or what we can do to truly open up our hearts and invite con real conversations in which we are actually willing to listen, even to those who may say things we may not like to hear. Okay, so thank you for listening. Now I would like to listen. So if you want to speak, please unmute yourself and go for it. Give you 20 seconds and then I'll choose who's going to speak. Okay, so how about Rezan? You knew that. 
I haven't heard you since Friday. <laughs> oh, how about raisin? Um, you certainly are all equal in terms of uh, one nation under one virus. Um, the virus, I think, is helping us um, see our common humanity. Um, and feeling that, um, and that, um, I don't know, the, the coming of summer seems much more universal in some way, um, that we're all passing through this together. Mm -hmm. um, The um, experiences of the big cities. Um, we live in Ridgewood, which is certainly at this moment a leafy, peaceful, uh, gentle breeze flowing through it. Uh, seems absolutely foreign um, to where we are currently sitting. Um, having been in demonstrations with a helicopter over my head for um, weeks when um, in the late 60s during that series of demonstrations um, I, I can certainly remember what it's like to have a helicopter up there and wondering um, or feeling the, um, the disempowerment that such a thing brings to you um, so it's, um, it's very strange to be in such a, a peaceful and, um, um, place where connections, I guess, seem so simple, um, in some ways when also realizing the, um, the incredible difficulty, um, um, of making those connections real for those people. Mm. That's what I have this morning. Thank you. So, yeah, the, the seeming quiet, right, the seeming peacefulness, it's it's right and it's wrong at the same time, right? So it's right because it is all pervading, but the chaos is also all pervading, right? So the madness is all pervading. So if we get bunkered up in peacefulness, we can't hear the chaos. And if we get bunkered up in chaos and madness, we don't hear the peacefulness. Right, so we we do have to find ways to not be blinded to either one, either aspect. They're both true right now. So thank you. Okay, who's next? Um.
happened? Who's who that? Wants, who wants to speak? So if you want to speak, please unmute, say your name, and go for it. How about... Uh, I think it's Ellen. Hold on. Ellen? Yes. Okay. Okay. So um, I have long... This long time seemed to me that true tolerance is really challenging. That um, the structure of my mind, and I think most minds, uh, is to have a structure. Mm -hmm. cognitively and um, having a structure when it's different from other groups people's structure right away uh, sets up uh, a sense of separation and opposition and um, so that would be on one simple level as opposed to our emotions about this mm -hmm. um, and that they're going to kick in um, and uh, I notice in myself uh, at the present time you know uh, a lot of warring parts inside me and uh, a lot of opinions um, a lot of angers, uh, and uh, I sort of see how it connects to fear, mm -hmm. uh, being afraid of things, uh, being afraid of what threatens me, <laughs> uh, either in my uh, physical aspect, my emotional aspect, uh, and then the um, what we talk about in Buddhism, uh, just the aspect of having myself, what I think myself is, mm -hmm. what my identity is, uh, and uh, um, yeah. So I'm. Uh, I'm struggling with this a lot and also finding aspects of me that are very judgmental of myself and uh, why I can't be um, less angry and why I don't do more to uh, um, embody my ideals and my beliefs about social justice mm -hmm. and actually um, it occurs to me I wonder if at the present time I could be satisfied with whatever I'm doing and think that that was enough uh, yeah that's uh, Good. What were you going to say? I was going to say thank you. <laughs> okay. 
Actually, uh, I was going to say it, that. Go ahead. I'm feeling that I hold back from doing more and what I could do mm -hmm. out of fear for my own person. Yeah. So this all makes me feel like crying right now. Well, we will cry with you. Okay. <laughs> I did want to say one thing about that, that uh, one of the many great qualities you have is to make it real. <laughs> and you, what? To, you make it real. You, you say it as it is, and it's actually very valuable because what you say is shared by a lot of people, by many of us. And that's what we have. To, this is how we need to practice. We don't want to waste time. We don't want to sit by the sidelines and point. We want to actually open up our hearts and be real. And if we're not, we're wasting time. So what you said was very real, right? There is judgment. Of course, there is judgment. And the judgment does not end with judging others. We judge ourselves. We judge ourselves, we judge others. And we get better at it, right? Like anything else, you know, whatever we do on a regular basis, we get good at. And we have gotten very good at being very judgmental which is fine if we acknowledge it, and then we could start to put more effort and work on doing something different. That's how we recognize what we need to do. So we don't want to just sit there and then judge ourselves for being judgmental and then do nothing, right? How do I develop an equanimous mind is the question. Not why am I so judgmental, that doesn't matter. Not only it doesn't matter, it doesn't go anywhere. It's just going around in circles recognizing that the judgmental propensities that I have, how do I develop an equanimous mind? Recognizes the, 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 the anger or the propensities for anger, how do I develop patience? How do I develop loving kindness? That's the, those are the, the, the most important questions and that's where we have to roll up and sleeve, our sleeves and, and do some work. That's what the efforts are needed. So thank you for saying it as it is. Okay, so I have a question. To, for me? <laughs> uh, so I understand what you're saying and it makes a lot of sense. And um, when the equanimous mind is so far away, uh, it looks very difficult. So that's one thing. Uh, but here's the question. Do you not think it is valuable to find, not in an intellectual way, in some um, other way, the root of the judgmentalness, the, the root of the anger or the hatred? Do we not have to do that too? What's the root of happiness and acceptance? Well, that's a really good question. What did King Yuan said? Segyoku, come closer. Right? Come closer, you will see. But the question comes, come closer to what? Yeah, just come closer. So that it means, okay, so in my case, <laughs> probably I spend too much time trying to come closer to 
the negativity, the judgment, the anger, the hatred. Well, when you come closer, you Isn't see it all. Isn't part of what we have to come closer to also? When For you... me, maybe the good question is, what is the root of happiness? But don't we have to come closer to all of it? When you come closer, you see all of it. And then you may be able to see better wholesome and unwholesome propensities, right? Unwholesome propensities and wholesome qualities. Let's put it this way, right? Unwholesome propensities and wholesome qualities. And then you may actually have a better choice or a place of, from which to choose to go with the wholesome and abandon the unwholesome. And besides, when you go with the wholesome, you are taking nurture, nourishment from the unwholesome. When you go, when you act, when you think, speak and act in ways that are, uh, that are developing loving kindness, you are taking attention and nourishment from those propensities because you're not acting them out. When you are not acting something out, on three levels, thoughts, words, actions. Thoughts, again, thoughts and thoughts and thoughts. Very important to examine our thoughts, right? Here's a thought, big deal. So what? Here is a judgmental thought. So what? So what? Does it mean anything? No, it's raining outside. It's this, it's that. Yeah. One second. One second. So, so the question is, what do we do with that, right? At the moment we see a thought, at the moment we see that the thought is saying that, also emotion of fear, right? The moment we, see, we feel that. Yeah, well, we understand, of course we feel that. Of course we feel that. What do we do at that moment? Or what do we do to develop something that has the power to quell those propensities? When you get stronger, something gets weaker. When wisdom gets stronger, other aspects of us get weaker, right? So you got to serve somebody, right? As Bob Dylan said. Sang. If anybody wants to sing it, I'll be happy to listen. <laughs> Go ahead. No, I just wanted to say, I think Richard wants to sing Oh, Richard. I'm sorry. I thought he you raised were... his hand. Yes. Good, good morning. Good morning, um, Richard. Good morning. I... Um... I really um, take on board Ellen's comments in particular. Um, you know, and I, I think it, it's 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 easy both to see and 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 not to see that when at the same time when you have a, a strong reaction to um, something that, that that comes across to you as, as as grossly unjust and maybe even done for the purpose of provoking you. And, and, and it's undeniable that there's a, a human response, right, from a primitive part of the brain to respond to that. It may even have been helpful at some point in the evolutionary process. Maybe it's still helpful, but it needs to be recognized as a delusion. Mm -hmm. and, and, and I think the transformation that, that's needed is, is, is to sort of pause over that reaction for a moment and, and consider how um, a response can get formulated that's helpful. Mm -hmm. 
and 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 it seems to me it's 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 just that 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 uh, act of of transforming something that that's simply not going to be a helpful response mm-hmm. is 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 what it's about. It's harder to do than to say, and and it's probably not as gratifying as an immediate and instinctive response, but it's more gratifying over a longer period of time. I think absolutely. Absolutely, and here's the thing. Isn't that what we are, uh, or what we need to do with our zazen? To cultivate the ability to not go with what comes up, right? Whether it's a thought or a sensation, we sit and we don't move, right? And we keep coming back to the breath. We keep coming back to this vastness that allows us to do exactly what you said. Right? So if we are practicing correctly, great. Now we need to mobilize it. And if we're not practicing correctly, we have to look at that and change the way we practice and work on it. So the intention, every time we, we, we sit down and practice Zazen, the intention is to work with it, meaning to keep coming back to that place that give us the possibility to, to, to uh, not react, to not have a knee-jerk reaction to everything that comes up. Right, so we develop that mind, that equanimous mind, and then we have a responsibility to share this mind with everything and everybody. So yeah, that's very true. Thank you. It's great. Ari. Ari. Good morning. Hi, everybody. Thank you for sharing your practice today. Great talk. You, Roshi, you said something uh, once to me that was, um, you know, an aha and very enlightening, awesome moment, um, which was that, um, you know, when we sit, we are interrupting uh, the karmic flow, um, you know, these propensities. And uh, I, I've witnessed how that has manifested in my life. So, um, you know, I've had uh, um, a, a lot of fear-based propensities, uh, whether it's responding um, in anger or, um, you know, bolting um, like a feral cat. Um, and I, I don't know who said it, if it was you, but what I gleaned from it, um, when we interrupt these propensities, when we, when we um, don't allow ourselves to get hooked and carried away, swept away by them, um, the energy that has gone towards um, all of that uh, gets, um, you know, diverted, reabsorbed, or um, um, returned to uh, something more essential. And so in the process, um, for me, the last few months, which has um, been about, um, you know, uh, interrupting my propensity to uh, to 
run or uh, abandon, mentally execute, um, you know, uh, my love, the person that I, I love, um, by interrupting that process. And I, I also discovered what was underneath um, that propensity. There's, um, there is a, a pure desire um, to experience harmony and experience unconditional love. Um, that's what's underneath all of it. And so there, there's been, if I didn't interrupt it, I wouldn't have gotten to really experience that, right? Mm -hmm. And I had to be fearless in, and uh, sit with, you know, you know, all of these uh, um, very challenging, difficult, painful, um, uh, you know, emotions um, with the help of you and the Sangha and um, other people, by the way. Um, so if I didn't, if, if I didn't have the practice, if I didn't practice Sangha, if I, if I wasn't willing to, you know, uh, be with everything, um, I wouldn't have got to what, what, what's underneath it. And I'm finally getting to experience, and it, and it wasn't, I, I haven't experienced this harmony because I was able to control her, right, or anything out here. I'm experiencing it because I have the courage to stay with it long enough uh, to, to get to that, that core desire for harmony and unconditional love and the expression of it. And it's uh, miraculous, really, um, and beautiful mm -hmm. and very affirming. And um, yeah, I will say um, this one other piece. Uh, so a couple of years ago, I think it was two or three years ago, um, I don't remember. I was in uh, North Dakota at uh, this there was a protest there at Standing Rock Reservation. And I had gone there to work with um, uh, the medicine um, men and women uh, to maintain the hoop. And when I got there, um, the medicine man that I was working with, uh, he just, he was heartbroken. He kept, and he said the hoop keeps breaking, which is sort of, you know, it's an energetic intention, right? Um, and he was really just heartbroken by that. And I got to witness firsthand, you know, the, so in the in the activist protest community, um, you know, the wholesome expression of that um, and the unwholesome expression, because what what was breaking the hoop were the people that were disseminating um, just ridiculously false information, right? And and that was happening on both sides. Um, and so it was interesting to me, and I was, I was um, um, disillusioned <laughs> by my experience there initially. Um, but, you know, I had to make room for it all. And, and in the end, um, so Standing Rock just, um, we had good news. Um, uh, their rights have been upheld, and, and that long fight, um, you know, we got to the the desire for harmony and peace 
not just for the tribe, but for the whole planet, right? They were protecting water. And um, so, you know, I had to stay with even these people that were, you know, making up these ridiculous stories and my judgments of them. Um, and we've stayed with it for years and years, and, and it's turned out beautifully. Um, and I know that things look rough now, um, but there's big change, and, and I feel so grateful to be able to witness it and be awake, totally awake to it. Good timing. And, and a lot of it has to do with all of you, by the way. So grateful for all of you. Thank you. Thank you. So to be awake for it all, right? <clears throat> it's a good way to to uh, look at that. To be awake for it all. To uh, yeah. To open up our hearts and to find the courage. To find the courage to be the witness for all of it. Right, and and also to constantly cultivate equanimity. Right, equality and equanimity in our hearts and then share that with others. Otherwise, we are just going to do the same. And, you know, we, we push one thing and then another thing pushes against us. And then all there is is just conflict. And not, no non-acceptance. And acceptance of oneself, right? Accepting ourselves as we are. Obviously, is a key component. To not judge. We have a, a few more minutes. I don't know if actually I wanted to see if Gordon has something to say since uh, T is his expertise, both Erica and Gordon. And uh, we mm -hmm. talked about serving T. What did you take from that? Uh, so, hi, I'm Gordon and uh, Erica. We both actually um, uh, practice tea ceremony. So, uh, this was really funny because yesterday I had uh, something of a thought experiment because, you know, we see a lot of images online and in particular I have a lot of friends that are out um, at the protests and I was was like, what could I do? And I was like, well, it, you know, barring coronavirus uh, concerns, I could go serve tea. And then I was like, well, but if I'm serving tea to the protesters, I really also should probably go into the police station and serve tea to the police um, as well. And, and then I was like, well, really, actually, um, both sides should just sit down and have tea uh, because then everybody would have to sit on the ground, mm -hmm. you know, and they'd have to sit shoulder to shoulder. And they, you know, it'd be like, they don't need to, nobody needs to say anything. They just need to have a cup of tea. And uh, so it's funny you have this pay show today because that was my thought experiment yesterday. And I was like, well, this is, <laughs> you know, this would be wonderful. But uh, serving tea in a public setting is is uh, not allowed because of coronavirus <laughs> at the moment. So. Um, right. But so anyway, uh, maybe we can all have a metaphorical cup of tea is the, mm -hmm. the best we can do. All we can have the tea uh, Zhao Zhu was referring to. Yeah. Which is not limited to that cup that you that you hold in your hand, mm -hmm. right? This tea actually is free to manifest in any way you want. It could be a thought. It could be a thought of sharing yourself with others, of giving yourself to others. 
as an offering. That's the cup of tea was talking about. Yeah. So at times that uh, what you just said is not possible. There are many other possibilities and this is what we want to look at. That's what we examine, right? We want to have discussions about what can we do. And I'm not saying we're going to do it right now, but what we may need to do is have uh, either uh, discussions um, by emails or set up uh, small group discussions or maybe have uh, set up another time to discuss uh, informally, to discuss and see and see if we can come up with um, creative ideas. So what can we do? What can we do to help? So we will uh, we'll think about some ideas and uh, communicate by email about that. But yeah, we, we have to get involved. Practice, constantly practice, share it. Practice, share it. Go inwardly, go outwardly until the divide between inward and outward is gone. Thank you. Okay, one more person, maybe, yeah. yeah. L just unmuted. L, good morning. Hi. Hi. Um, I just wanted to be honest for a second, and this is something that I'm still working with, but um, to be honest, the idea of serving tea to the police and protesters side by side is something that makes my heart, like, beat out of my chest with worry and um, a, a sense that it is not the right thing to, it is not the right way of practice or not the right, not the right way. Um, and I think, you know, I have a very, um, I have a, I, I have a lot of practice with judgment and I'm still working on that and understanding that. But I think part, some, something that I've been thinking about as part of this conversation is just being, um, there is there are Zen ideas of patience and forgiveness and forbearance and equanimity, which are important to me and important to our practice. It's difficult because those ideas have also been co-opted um, the same words have been co-opted to mean something very different in current American discourse. And it's easy to get those confused because the words are shared. Mm -hmm. um, something that I think about is how ideas of patience and, um, you know, the words that we've been talking about are things that are culturally associated with whiteness. Um, whereas if we see the same actions being taken by another body that we call black, we call that anger, we call it unreasonableness or irrationality. And I know for myself that I've seen in my life that um, for some reason, Asian people have become associated with ideas of myopia, introvertedness and antisocial tendencies. Um, and so, you know, the way that I'm trying to think clearly about these concepts is understanding that as we communicate these concepts to each other, we are kind of held together by a shared practice. And so there's a little bit more trust um, than I might have with just a passing person. When we say this, we're talking about this and not that, but we are communicating through um, a fundamentally imperfect vehicle, which is the, the English language. 
um, which has its own limitations. And um, I think because of that, there's an added onus on us to be really clear when, um, to not be uh, complacent when we say, I need to be patient, I need to be non-judgmental, I need to be gentle with myself, and I need to think about what I'm struggling with, and to um, have some, pres- to uh, have the responsibility to say, um, I can say those things, but um, are the, you know, I need to have precision and clarity about what those concepts mean beyond the words, because the words are not enough um, to really get at what I'm saying. And so that's something that's um, helped me with Zen practice is the kind of paradoxical conversations that I see happening in um, our taste shows and um, Zen reading helps me to get beyond what I feel like are some of the limitations of uh, English language and the logical paradoxes it sets up acknowledging that this is a continuing and evolving conversation and we can only really say what we mean by continuing to talk to each other and hone down and be honest about um, how words hit us in different ways. So, um, yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. First of all, thank you so much for, for sharing, uh, for being honest, because that's what we want. That's what we are uh, working together to foster, right? To allow, to to allow each other to really express what needs to be expressed without any makeup or pretense or any ideas or trying to convey something other than what is. And that's what we feel. So thank you for that. And Nate, you bring up a very important point. You bring up a very important point that uh, uh, what we are talking about is not in the words that we are using. And we have to watch for that. We have to be aware of that. That's why, you know, the famous saying, when you meet the Buddha, kill the Buddha. When you meet compassion, kill compassion. When you meet patience, kill patience. It's the same thing. It's not the word. And also, it's not the, the way the word has been used. Many words have been abused and, and hijacked and abused. Hijacked and abused obviously so yes we have to be aware of that so we don't fall into that and think of something in relation to the way it has been you or it is being used so we have to so it's on us as you said it's on us to get to the bottom of it to understand what it is that we are saying what do we mean by patience what do we mean by loving kindness and the other thing is what do we mean by offering a cup of loving kindness to the world so when we, when we go into that and we offer from there, there are no police officers and other people. Th- there is no such a thing. Because only to the differentiating, differentiating mind, there are groups. And that's what we see. But if we go deep down, deep below this, to underground, under the surface, and then we get in touch with that and we offer from there, we're not offering to police officers and to demonstrators. It is just an offering. We become the offering. And they become part of that offering, what we call they, which is at that point no longer they. It's us. And yes, absolutely, we have to get to the bottom of it, right? So we don't get entangled by the, by, by the way those words are used, right? And... Uh, uh, you know, it becomes very flowery, very nice. And you know, we, this is not about being nice people. And we've said that many times. 
But thank you. Thank you. We really appreciate that. Go ahead. Dina had unmuted. Dina, you want to say something? And uh, you got uh, two minutes. <laughs> okay. Um, well, I, I have to say I completely understand where you're coming from because on you know, these times, this pain kind of makes us selfish. And in that selfishness, we hear things and we just kind of shut down because we're in pain. And it's like, no, that's not what I want to say. That's not what I want to hear. Um, I found that what helps me is I just kind of take a pause and just say, okay, I know I feel pretty whatever right now, so I'm just going to stop and hear it and, you know, see what happens after I hear it and try to hear it without responding in my head with my own thoughts and feelings, but just try to hear it and sit with it from a different perspective or just observe them to see if I can get to the essence of where they're trying to go. Because as you said, if I'm out there protesting for my life, you know, and I'm part of the targeted crew at the moment, and Eric comes and offers me some tea, in my pain and my hatred, I'm gonna take that tea and I'm gonna bash him with it, right? But if I stop and I'm like, he's trying to offer me what he has. It, he, he's not, you know, they're in this space. There's an opportunity for us to find, you know, how we can acknowledge each other's humanity and move forward from not from our individual biases and pain, but from that 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 uh, communication point. I don't know what the right language is, like you say. So that's what I wanted to say. But thank you for, for being honest, because I kind of feel the same way. That's the right language. <laughs> that's correct. <laughs> <laughs> thank you for that, yes. Uh, yeah, that's anybody else, because we are going to wrap it up. Uh, we're not ending a discussion. We're not ending the, the communication. We just need to end the session. But uh, thank you very much for that. Uh, don't go anywhere. We're going to finish with uh, chanting together. Dina, it's good to see your face. Yes, it's good to see everybody. And uh, it is, uh, <laughs> it's incredible to, to, to have this opportunity. And uh I hope you feel the same about it. It's uh, I love you all, and I am absolutely deeply grateful for your dedication to practice. That's what it takes. This is where it begins. It begins by looking deeply, by taking responsibility for our own mess inside here, the head. And if we take responsibility for that, and we know how to work with it, how to sit with it, there is nothing we can't do. So, thank you for that.